Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. What was your impression of George when you got to meet him? You know, it was funny, man. When I walked in the studio, Ted, Ted flew me out there to Detroit. And he, he was behind the mic already, the session they were doing. He was doing some song called Fire Falling or something. And, and but I didn't know at first it was him. And I'm looking through the glass and I see this guy with a short, like a, like a shortcut afro. Not, it was short, you know, it's actually shorter than my hair is right now. With a Gap t-shirt and jeans. And, and like a little goatee, you know, and I'm like, so who's this dude? You know, I'm looking at Ted. I'm saying, man, this is hot. This is a bad record, you know. I said, who's this? He said, that's George, man. That's George. I said, George who? He said, that's George Clinton. And I went around to the couch and went up to the front window and I said, holy crap, that's George. Yeah. And then when I went up to the window like that, he saw me and he went, so, you know. <laughs> And so he comes out of the recording, uh, out of the recording studio where he was recording with the mic and comes into the control room. And Ted had already told him about me. So he said, hey, man, what's up? What's up? How you doing? He said, hey, man, this is Ronnie, blah, blah, blah. And he was just the coolest guy, man. It was just, like, very surreal. Because now I'm in the midst of the guys that I, you know, had grown up, like I said earlier. And, and, and admired so much. And it's like, he was just so down to earth during the playback uh, of what he was doing. And we were just listening. And then for him to want to be a part of the Xavier record was, was just huge for us. So working with him and then on computer games, when we did the, uh, the computer games record, everybody and their mom was playing on that record. Uh, uh, it was like we were just a big synthesizer, drum, guitar-playing family. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It was great memories. So you met George before he got the Rainbow Braids, even. Yes, exactly. And, um, exactly. It's so funny, though, because it's just a classic thing. I mean, throughout the 70s and everything, and they even put it on record, you know, which one is George Clinton? Because people would often not know you know, he could just go into no. the radar, you know? That's right. That's right. He could do that. And believe it or not, Bootsy was real good at that. Because when I met him, 
I didn't know who he was at first because we were in a, we were in the clothing store and I had my album with me and I was like, oh God, he's in here. I can't believe it. Because no, it wasn't, I didn't know he was coming. He was coming to shop and buy some stuff. And I had my record a couple of hours with me because it was a record shop next door. And I was going to go over there and talk to them to see if I can get my records put in their store. So it was kind of weird how it happened. But when he walks in, he has on a brown leather jacket and some dress pants, nice shoes, no. But what gave it away is when I got closer to him, he had regular, you know, regular eyeglasses, like, you know, like, like black frames like this, but they were shaped like stars. I got closer to him and I saw the star shape and then I noticed the hair and then I said, oh, okay, that must be. And then they introduced us and it was him, but I didn't recognize him at first because if he hadn't had those glasses on, I wouldn't have been able to recognize him. Could you get a sense of like the kind of vibe that George would bring to those records and sessions that you were around? Oh my God. The energy was off the top. Off the off the head creativity. He was that kind of genius. When we did Shinamite on Bootsy's record, George's whole crew was on that record. We, everybody was in the studio. And uh, when he did the whole, you know, my my shine puts grows hair on bald heads and puts feeling in peg legs and the secret to walking on water is knowing what a rock saw, baby, you know. And the stuff that he was, <laughs> and and the hooks and the vocal hooks that he would come up with, after just from the energy of the track, you know, and he would just hear it. He would hear it and know it, and you would think that he had been on planning this for the whole two weeks before the session. He was just brilliant, and most of the records he did was like that. Wow, and that's you were, how he worked. You were uh, around when they were working on Atomic Dog. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I was working very closely to, what was his name? David Spradley. I don't know if you know that name. Yeah. He and I he, he and I teamed up and did a big record. We, we, we worked together and co-produced and co-wrote a song called Reaganomics, which ended up being a club dance phenomenon at the, back in the day. I run into people now, and when I play a form where I tell them I did it, they freak out. It's like, it's like, no, you didn't do that record. That record was in the club. That record was hot. So David and I had a little chemistry going with that whole Project Future uh, thing on EMI. And so when it, it, we were just always together, we were just always working together. It was like Ted was overseeing the, the uh, Atomic Dog Project, the Computer Games Project. David Spratley, me, you know, hey, come on in the studio. We're going in here to do this. And you just be around and you go in and you just say, hey, cut this part and do this and do that. And it's just weird how the community functioned that way. And and sometimes there'd be three people in the studio. Then sometimes there'd be like 15, 20 people in the studio, you know, because it was just a really amazing time. Were you... Uh surprised or impressed when atomic dog became such a hit yes in a way i was because the record industry you know how it is when an artist is gone for so for a while because george it had been a minute before george had had a hit and when atomic dog came out and he was on capitol i said man i hope they really 
do this right because this record is is bringing funk back and man when it came out that was it everybody was that was just really happy to see that happen and not just because we were all involved on the project just because we we just loved george you know and we loved what he was doing you know we wanted to see him win again and do it again what was the first record actually do you remember on the radio that you heard that you were involved with Oh, first record was the family love record, the gospel record that I did. So that you heard that on the radio? I heard that. What really bugged me out, I heard it in my hometown, of course. But then when I went into New York, I was hearing it on the gospel stations there and in New Jersey. And it's like, wow, okay, this is really like playing different places. You know, it was a, it was an interesting feeling. That was a very inspiring feeling. Because I know if I kept working at it, I'd hear a lot of my stuff like that. And since then, I've been on airplanes, walking through airports, malls, and even in foreign countries and hearing my music playing, music that I produce. So uh, I always go back to that first day that I heard my my different drummer record, uh, my family love record on the radio. Of course, um, Atomic Dog went to number one, so you were yeah. associated with a number one hit. Yes, that, I was. That video got such heavy play also. So Yes, yeah. exactly. And that was exactly. 82, so that was kind of Yeah, rude. that's right. That's right. It was a great feeling to, to have those you know, accolades, you know what I mean? <laughs> to say I was a part of that. So you were like uh, becoming sort of a golden boy within EMI and uh, through that whole... Kind of, yeah. You know... Um, uh it could have been and it, i think it probably would have taken off even more uh but when you're young you make some decisions that aren't always the best decisions but um you know i had uh some people who wanted to get involved with me and manage me before i hooked up with the other management company and i think if i had went the other way the career would have even got bigger than it did and i'm not complaining i had a pretty good run but um, yeah, Ted, as long as Ted was in that job, as long as Ted Curry was there at EMI, I was going to work. That's just how it was. I was going to work. And then um, after he left, uh, thank God for uh, the guys at Hush Productions, they kept me going. You know, there was always something that they kept me involved with uh, many times, even if I, like I did the Naji record, I did Melba's music. I did music on Melba. I worked with uh, Ray Goodman and Brown on their big comeback album, uh, Take It to the Limit, which ended up doing very well for them. Uh, many nights uh, I get a call from Zach Vaz and he would be, uh, I need you down here in the studio in three hours. I said, dude, it takes me two hours to drive. <laughs> to, to the to the city and he was like just get down here so i would get down there and many of the songs that were uh singles off of freddie's record freddie jackson's record and a uh, few few people's records actually he would call me in to do kind of like remixes and reproduction on some things on those records and those were big big credits because a lot of those records went number one too so 
It was it was it was a, a nice ride and kept me going. And for those who don't know, Ray Goodman and Brown were the moments, right? Yes. Yes. Love on a two-way street back in the day. And then they did Special Lady when they became Ray Goodman and Brown. And then yeah. uh, that was on Polygram, I think. Well, they were on Polydor Records when they did that one. And uh, then they came back, you know, and uh, Hush Productions picked them up and did an amazing job on resurfacing their careers. And those guys became my family. They were, it's really wonderful how I had heard about them too, you know, all the moments, Al Goodman, you know, Billy Brown, Harry Ray, from from one of my guys in Harvard, you used to talk about them all the time. And when I met them, these guys were the most amazing souls. You know, as, as far as groups, I have to say, they're probably, they became family to me, you know. When they worked with me, when we were writing, they would drive all the way up to Connecticut and hang out with me and my, you know, production setup, and we would just write and come up with stuff. And they had song ideas. I had, it was just a beautiful experience, you know. Hear these guys, you're hearing their records when you're in high school, and there again, you never thought, yeah, I would have read who the moments, man. I would never meet these guys. And then they're all sitting around, you know my house and you know we're just talking and sharing our stories and it looking out for each other and just just a beautiful relationship man and i i tell you i miss al and harry i think about them all the time and uh billy and i still talk actually we're still trying to get a record on billy now hmm. wow yeah um well, you know, you talked about so many different genres that you crossed, you know, with hardcore funk, with uh, smooth jazz, with, you know, vocal groups and mm-hmm. gospel and, you know, mm-hmm. so where does your heart lie in terms of, you know, uh, musical tastes and, you know, what do you, do you feel equally passionate about them all or what? what where I just, you- I, I just feel passionate about music, man, period. I've often had real issues with people who wanted to tag uh, tag me and put an adjective behind the word producer when it comes to what I do. I haven't been fortunate my whole life and career. I have not been fortunate enough to have the right kind of machine behind me to put me in the place where I can do my re- the music I really want to do. You know, I have not done my best music yet. I'll tell you that now. And I got two projects that I'm working on now that's going to shock the world because they're projects that I am not allowing anyone, no record executive, no A&R guy to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm taking the whole Quincy Jones approach. You know, hey, man, you don't tell me what to do. I'm the producer. So that's... I'm taking his his mantra and I'm I'm taking at the heart on these projects and I'm saying these are I'm doing I'm making all the calls. Before I leave this world, I want to do projects that reflect the totality of my musicality. Well, and, how, how how would you describe that? You know, where might it fall in terms of you know if someone was to listen to it, what might they think? This this one record I'm doing is gonna is gonna fall on many different chart years. It's gonna fall on on uh, world music. It's gonna fall fall on 
pop. It's going to fall on funk. It's going to fall on blues rock. It's going to fall on uh, tradition, not so much traditional gospel, but the worship genre. This one album. This one album. And even a, a jazz ear, a song that we have that's doing that. It's kind of like, I don't know if you heard the song that Arif Martin did with uh, Nora Jones. Nora Jones. They did a song called uh, Beautiful Jazz uh, Traditional Piano Upright, just beautiful jazz tune. We even have a song like that on this record. This record is going to hit everybody. And guess what? The way we did it is going to be so seamless. People will say, well, it's, it's it's on the same album, but it sounds like it belongs on the same album. Mm-hmm. And that's usually hard to do. But we've mastered that. So, And that's because I don't have any chefs in the kitchen with me telling me what to do. When, when might we... Uh, Which is what I've had most of my career. When, when, <laughs> when might we get to hear some of that? I hope and pray that before this year is out, we'll be able to start exposing that to the public. And and you will be one of the first to know. <laughs> Arif Martin, though, another guy, producer, like some of those you were talking about. Um, yeah. Did you ever get to meet Quincy or uh, or yes. uh, Tom Bell or yes. who rest in peace now? But yeah, I met. I, I this, uh, let me say that my heart still breaks that I didn't meet Tom or um, physically meet Tom or Gene Page. And I still lament over that. Okay, even though I speak to I speak to Gene's children, you know, because of something that we were trying to get done for Gene. But um, Quincy uh, Dayton played at the Michigan State Fair back in eighty one, something like that. I forgot what year eighty two, and he was doing the tour to the 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 tour for the Dude album, and we were invited to open the show. And we all pretty much were just kind of congregating, you know, back behind the stage and and being a part of the whole Quincy production and everything. And he uh, took a liking to my oldest son, who was at the time, he was only like four years old. And he grabs him and he says, hey, little fella, you know, and so he said, this your son? I said, yeah, you know. He said, what are you here? I said, yeah, I'm with the group Dayton. He said, oh, man, fantastic record, man, fantastic record. He said, that's why we, we enjoy having you guys out here with us, and this is great, you know. And he grabs my son, and he says, this, this is a cute little guy. And so uh, Quincy's son, who was 13, 12, I don't know how old he was at the time. He was a young kid, but older than my son, Uh asked me, he says, uh, does he play video? He like my son loved arcade. He was about five years old. He used to love the arcade. He just loved the arcade. So Quincy's son told him, uh, told me, he said, well, I could take him over here, man. It's this big arcade. Everybody's over there playing. He said, if you don't mind. And everybody was heading that way. And he went with, he took my son. And when they came back, we did a group picture before the show. And and Quincy says to me, he says, where's your, where's your kid? Where's your kid? Stay right. He grabs him and he puts him up on his shoulders. 
and we take this picture with James Ingram, Patty Austin, uh, Ernie Watts, every, I mean, everybody in the band there and some of the group members from Dayton. Unfortunately, the camera that took the picture was from one of the group members in Dayton. And we said, you got to give us that picture when you get it developed. And I hadn't seen it since. But uh, it's a memory that my younger sons to this day still remembers. And well, it's great it that just, he remembers because sometimes yeah, he does. five is he right does. around the border of remembering stuff. Yeah. Oh, he, he remembers. He remembers what I got him for his birthday when he was four. So, you know, <laughs> he's, he's a brilliant kid, though. But it was just a beautiful moment. And then I had a chance to be a part of the Grammy Legends Award TV show that honored Quincy that year for, with the Grammy Legend Award in New York with Billy Joel and Johnny Cash. And I was working uh, the talent that year. So I was kind of coordinating the talent and things of that nature. And and then we hooked up and I met with, I saw him. He was talking to a few people and then we talked and I told him about the Michigan State Fair. And he started cracking up because it started raining when Dayton, Dayton started singing Hot Fun in the Summertime. Oh, wow. And then when we started singing it at the Michigan State Fair, this was when he was promoting the Duke, the rain just came down. And we're up there. And Greg Felingames, uh, his keyboard player, said, yeah, many up there singing Hot Fun in Summertime is pouring down rain. <laughs> and Quincy remembered that. He says, man, hey, we got so much rain. He said, my God, it stopped after we got done. It stopped enough for Quincy to perform. But we had a good laugh about that. Wow. But I, I did. I always wanted to say to him, hey, man, let me uh, shadow you. Let me get an internship. But, you know, I just never I just he was so big, bigger than life. It's like I just couldn't push on him like that. But it was great that he remembered and, you know, complimented the music that I had done for Dayton, which was good enough for me at the time. Yeah. That's like the kind of like the Bootsy thing, you know, or, uh, years later. Yeah. Reconnect. Yeah. 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 Wow. Exactly. Uh, and then remembering, you know, that's makes it extra yeah. cool. Um, exactly. How many uh, uh, tours, you know, what's the extent of your, you know, live performing experience? Not much. I, I, I performed with Dayton during the, I think 1985, I did some live shows with them. I did about four with them and that was it. I just, it just wasn't me, man. I just wasn't into it. You know, it just wasn't into the live thing and what goes along with it and all the rigmarole and everything. You know, I just like, hey, get me a studio, get me some musicians and, you know, give me a check and let's roll, you know. <laughs> did You know, with all the genres you dipped into, did you ever do anything related to hip hop? Yes, I did. I have some stuff. That we did recently that hasn't been released yet, but it's it's about to be released to some TV shows, some television productions. I have a music supervisor friend who's going to be getting a lot of our hip hop library into some of the TV shows that are out here right now. But um, we did, um, but well, the thing that Davis Bradley and I did was we had a hip hop, we had an artist, actually a rapper on that. It was like a hip hop thing. And I forgot the guy's name, the artist. I don't know if it was the Boogie Boys or it was some, it was one, it was a hot artist at the time who Ted got to be on that record. 
And uh, that's when he was working with the Boogie Boys and they had Fly Girl and things like that. Um, but I didn't start digging deep myself. And I mean, really digging deep into hip hop until just about a few years ago and working with the guys I'm, I've worked with. And we turned, we got some fire, man. It's just crazy. So I told them, I think it's better. Let's go through the TV route. And then once you're, once you're exposed to these TV shows, we're getting ready to place your music and then it'll be sky's the limit after that because you know the record industry is different now nobody's going to get a record deal per se in that way like we used to so you'll be here and i got a i think i have a piece on my website i think i have a couple of pieces actually that i did uh with a, a artist uh tony watts and um nathan jones those are the two guys that are that you're going to want to kind of keep your ears open for well, since you mentioned it, tell the folks about your website. Where can they go to keep up with what you have going on? Uh, just go to ronniesong.com. R-A-H-N-I-S-O-N-G.com. And you can know about everything I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm working on. We will be updating our news page in another week. Because I just had a pretty big record with Melbourne Moore. Um, uh, a couple of singles, actually, uh, three, actually. That comeback uh, of hers, you know, she was on the show a few months back. Yeah, yeah, I did uh, the "So in Love," the first single that was that was my record, and uh, uh, my goddaughter Chantel Hampton did the background vocals and co-wrote that with me, uh, and we did a song called "Take Me Away." That did good uh, on that record, and that was my son. Max and Chantel co-wrote that as well. And the song Imagine, which really caught on because it was a very inspirational song. So, and there's more on the album. I don't know if they're going to put, put more singles out, but, uh, and Andre Ward's record just came out, uh, the sax player. We got some pretty fire, fired up stuff on his record that we did. Wow. It was so good for Melba to come back too, you know, still yeah. doing it. I love that, you know, and yeah. great artists are still bringing it. Yeah. You know, and she not, still not, sings. She's, she still can sing, man. Yeah. And those other songs that we did, you know, they're more commercial type songs, but if you listen to the album, you listen to the song free and the song highest star, then you can hear that she, she brings the other Melba out that most people are very familiar with yeah that gospel roots and yeah yeah you know, yeah yeah yep yeah. um and you're also an author right yes wow yes. so what inspired you to do that uh that's a story from a long time ago back in 98 i had a real rough time i was dealing with some issues and very close to suicide actually and I was inspired, you know, through my prayers and prayers of others around me to write something that I can encourage people in those moments. I don't want to write something too voluminous and too long, but uh, it's a seven chapter book and it's called The Other Side of Pain. And it's a very powerful, powerful book on just restoring hope to people. And, and we've gotten a lot of serious reports from, from people um, 
saying that it totally changed the direction of their life, which is basically the main thing that I want to hear anyway, you know, as a result of that, because that's why we wrote it. What year did that come out? Uh, that was, geez, 16, four years, uh, uh, 17, 2017, I think it was. Well, it's, it up. It's, it's phenomenal, though. I really respect that, Ronnie, because, you know, I've had, you know, depression in the family and things like mm-hmm. that. So I mm-hmm. understand. I understand. Um, yeah. 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 It's a good book. It's a, and, and it reaches everybody. It's a very good book. Kudos to you for that. Thank you. Know. you. Thank yeah. you. Um, so I like to ask guests on the show um, if you could only have five albums to listen to for eternity, let's say, uh, what five would they be? And they can't be any that you were a part of. Hot City by Gene Page. He did that with the Love Unlimited Orchestra and all these other fine musicians. Um, I would say uh, the Spinners, the stuff they did, I would have to pick probably the Mighty Love album. Um, even though I would say let's put all their albums into one and that would count as one so you said five only so I would say the Mighty Love album uh, the I Am album by Earth, Wind and Fire uh, and There's an album, there's this one album, it's a gospel album actually, by a guy named Henry Jackson. It's the most, some people say the most magical sounding, but it's it's this, it's something on that album to this day that still haunts me. And it inspired me in my youth quite a bit. And um, he was one of our unsung heroes in the gospel world, but it was very contemporary stuff that he did. It was under Al Bell at the time. Al Bell had a label called Gospel Truth, which was under, under Stax. So I would say that album uh, that he did. And uh, number five, it's tough because I, I have so many records that I that I love. I would have to say number five would have to be the Tutu album by Miles Davis. Yeah, yeah. I probably, if I went back through all these, Miles is probably the one that's been in the most top five. Yeah, two two albums, and 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 I love the Nightfly album by Donald Fagan, but you said five, so <laughs> I've had people cheat and say oh, I gotta throw one more, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, Ronnie, when you look back, you know, what would you say you're most proud of accomplishing in your in your career? In my career, uh, I think just to be, just to get an, uh, a gold album, platinum record, a platinum album, and to the Grammy nomination was, you know, the, was huge. I had two of those uh, with two artists. Uh, I won the, we won the Soul Train Award uh, with Najee. But I think the greatest thing, the greatest one was that first gold album, man, that I got for Najee. And because I used to sit in my room as a kid and get an old beat up record that nobody was playing and I would 
get my grandmother's. She used to do antique furniture and redo furniture. And she had this gold paint. And I used to paint those old records gold and hang them up on my wall <laughs> and say, one day, that's going to be real. And when I got that first gold album, I brought it home. I brought it to my grandmother. Uh, and I hung it up in her bedroom. I said, Grandma, I want this to stay here as long as you want it to be here. I, I, it stayed there for about a year in her bedroom because I felt she deserved that. She motivated me so much to do that and always would pull me aside and tell me things to right at the moment I needed to hear them that there's nothing you can't do. You can do this. You know, she even invested in me. She even brought my my first band. She bought the drum set for my first band. You know what I mean? <laughs> I needed to go to the studio. Grandma, I got to go in the studio. I got a song. I got an idea. You know, and you got to go in with the cash to pay, you know, the studio for the two hours. She would give me the money to go in and record, you know. So that was, to me, the greatest, the greatest achievement for me. You know, as you're talking, I, 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 I totally relate to Ronnie because my grandfather was the one who bought me my saxophone and I played sax oh, and really? he really got me into music and yeah. So, oh, wow, man. Isn't that beautiful though? Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so is there anything else uh, that you want to, you know, convey to the folks that we didn't cover? Uh, not, not much. Just, um, you know, it's been a ride. It's been a real serious ride. And the thing is, though, that your faith, you know, is so important in, in, in this business and in life because uh, in this industry, it's, it's something we love music. We love to do it. I mean, if it's in you, it's just a passion. You just can't get rid of it. And going through the bumps and bruises to make it a living at doing it, which is a whole different dynamic. <laughs> all together uh i just want to just share with everybody whatever you believe you can do man it, it will come to pass it'll happen i'm i'm living proof of that i'm living proof of that you know anything you aspire you see in your mind that you want to achieve and do and people you want to work with um it will you know, you pursue it that way and you see it and you work hard and you focus on being the best you, you can be. All that's going to just come to you automatically. And remember, never compete with other people. Never do that. The only person you really should be competing with is yourself. You should be better tomorrow than you were today at what you do. As long as you do that, you're going to make it. You, you'll be fine. And. Can't argue with that advice. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I, you know, share that with my son. He's 18. So good stuff. Um, I was curious, uh, just, in, you know, Najee, I know uh, mm -hmm. at some point he uh, did some playing with Prince. Did you ever get to meet Prince? We talked on the phone, believe it or not, once. <laughs> it was the weirdest conversation. I was at Al Bell's office, and it was during the Million Man March. And it was during that time, you know, Prince was pretty distressed by, you know, what was going on in the world. You know, he's very in touch with 
the social climate. And I was uh, at Al Bell's office. I had been up there all week um, talking to him. Um, he wanted to talk to me about working on some artists he had. And it was after hours and the phone rings and his promotion guy asked me, he said, can you answer the phone? And I went and answered the phone and I said, hello. And in this deep voice, it wasn't, you know, it was like, hello? He said, can I speak to Chuck? I said, well, Chuck is in with Al right now. And he says, who am I speaking to? And I said, Ronnie Song. He said, Ronnie Song, Najee Ronnie Song? <laughs> I said, yeah, not, yeah, I'm not, I'm the same Ronnie Song. He said, man, good work. I love your work, man. I love what you do. And and, and he, I said, well, you need me to get Chuck? He, he said, no, man, I'll call him back. I'm just so sick and tired of this crap going on, you know. With, with us, man, in this country, you know, and he just shared part of his, he shared his heart with me about that and he, how unhappy he was with uh, the racial overtones and things that were happening. And that's when he had kind of broke in rebellion. If you remember when he did the uh, video uh, that he, he hooked up with, 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 with Al because Al put his record out because he was rebelling against right, the most beautiful girl in the world. Yeah. And so then he had the word slave and he didn't tell, he didn't say it on the phone. He says, dude, he said, my next video, this is what he said to me. He said, check me out in the next video. You'll see what I mean. And he didn't tell me what it was, but I saw it. Then he turned his head in the, in the video. I saw it, and the word slave was written on his face. I said, okay, I get it. But that was my Prince experience. You know, but to even have him compliment, you know, what I do was 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 a beautiful thing. And we and we had a moment, you know, we chatted about uh, something that was important to both of us at the time. Very, very cool. Do you still uh, keep in touch and work with Najee or? No, I haven't spoken to Najee in ages, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the second album, he kind of just went his own way at that point. Yeah. After the uh day by day album that was pretty much it did you ever um run into or communicate with bootsy or george clinton like years later yeah we uh i i had at my album uh that i had out called breaking the rules i had a song on there called funkalicious it's funkalicious baby and it was a tribute to bootsy and george so I get on the email and I, I send Bootsy an email. I say, hey, man, I'm doing this tribute to you and George. And I want you to approve it before I put it on the record. Right. This was in 2011, 2012. And um, I, <laughs> I sent I sent him the song. And a day goes by, two days goes by, because I know he's busy. And then the third day, I checked my email, and then he had all caps, I like it. And then dot, 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 I like it a lot <laughs> with a with a laughy face, you know? So I said, okay, I got, I got the thumbs up from Bootsy on the song. And people started playing it on the radio quite a bit. It's called, it's Funkalicious, maybe, but it's, a, it's, it's them. I even have, I even imitate them. Because I was around them so much, you know, so I imitate them in the record. And then I even talk about the time we were in Detroit 
uh, I had George say, said, he said, hey, Ronnie, remember that time we was in Detroit? You know, I'm doing all these crazy voices and stuff. It was so fun, so much fun. You got to check it out. <laughs> That's cool. Great record. Yeah. I think I may have heard it. Um, sounds familiar, but I'm going to definitely mm-hmm. go back and dig in and, and check it out again. Funkalicious, baby. Yeah, that, that record is nothing but pure down-home funk, man, from what I learned being around those guys. It was a tribute to both of them. That's, that's my tribute to them. That's fantastic that you did that too. You know, yeah. went back and gave them that tribute. Yes. Yeah. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for sharing the stories and the story of your life and bringing all the music to us over the years. Thank you. Thank you. And there's more to come. There's some, there's a lot more coming. I'm going to make sure to that. I keep you posted. Yeah. Please yeah, do. Sure. And, um, Good health, you know, uh, stay nourished. Likewise. That's right. Likewise. <laughs> exactly. Get some rest. You know, people like us in this industry, that's something we got to learn how to do more of. Yeah. Just get well, some sleep. <laughs> like... I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of link shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, Shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.